Hey guys, it's Connor McDavid here, and you're listening to Brad and Avery Hour. Hey, what's going on? This is Master Chi coming your way. And is there an hour you need to lock into? Yes, it's the Brad and Avery Hour, the only hour you need to lock into. Good evening, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of the Brad and Avery Hour. This is my co-host, as always, the stylish, the most stylish person <laughs> I've ever known in my entire life. We talked about it today at the golf tournament. Mr. Avery Lewis McDougall, I'm Brad Buckle, as always. Thank you for joining us. This is episode number eight um, in this beautiful, beautiful state of the art building, uh, Grand Villa Casino. This is also brought to you by Core Dental Group of Edmonton. Uh, thank you guys so much for doing what you do to help us uh, make this show run smoothly. And let me tell you, do we have some stories for you? Man. <laughs> This is a post-award show and a massive guest coming up for you. We'll get into the award show uh, a bit later, Avery. I don't want to keep our guests waiting too much. We're joined. We're going to be joined up momentarily by Chris Johnson of Rogers Sportsnet. He's going to stop by and talk some NHL draft recap. Uh, well, well, awards too as well. He was there uh, as well. <laughs> okay, we'll talk some NHL awards and we will look ahead to July first. Is John Tavares? Maybe in a Maple Leaf sweater is, who knows, Tobias Reeder at Edmonton Oiler? I guess we'll find out and we'll hear from Chris Johnson uh, and we'll, as we wait for him. Uh, go ahead, Avery. Well, yes. When we call him Brian, or do you call us? Want me to yeah. call him more? Yeah, you we'll call him. Go ahead. All right, let's call him now. Let's see what Mr. Chris Johnson is doing up in the T Dot on a Monday evening. At 10 o'clock in the evening, uh, Mr. Chris Johnson. So you won't be able to hear or see him, but you'll be able to hear him Facebook Live. Uh, bear with us. You'll be able to hear him, though. You'll be fine. Avery. Chris Johnson, how you doing, Chris, buddy? how you doing, man? Hey, boys. Hang on one second. I just got to turn you down a bit. No problem. <laughs> how are, uh, how's the night going in Edmonton tonight? So so far, so good. We just got back from a, a charity golf tournament, and... Uh, Things are good. So we're we again. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure uh, to finally be able to meet you in Vegas. And hopefully, uh, this is the first of many encounters. Yeah, it's great. Of course. And of course, Chris, knowing you for about I would say now three years, were you surprised to see me in Vegas at all for the awards, Chris? <laughs> no, Avery, you're the kind of guy I'm never surprised. You always just seem to turn up everywhere. Doesn't, uh, doesn't matter what city or whatever, so I'm never surprised to see you. He's like Waldo. He no, just exactly. shows up wherever. <laughs> Great way of putting I feel it, like He can do like time travel or something. He just closes his eyes and he magically appears. So, Chris, I guess we'll start with the awards then because that's where uh, this all began. I mean, for you, was there any surprises at all? Or do you think uh, the award show for you went uh, quote unquote planned and, and as planned? Well, you know, I think I was going to be a little surprised with the Hart Trophy no matter what. Mm. And, you know, I sort of viewed that one as, uh, you know, a very close race between Nathan McKinnon and Taylor Hall. And, and you know, on my ballot itself, I, I had had McKinnon a bit ahead of Hall. And I, I sort of thought it was going to go that way. Um, but, you know, I was more than happy, of course, to see Taylor win. I think he's deserving of it. Uh, you know, two guys with similar stories, uh, lifting teams that were nowhere near the playoffs into the playoff spot. Uh, from two years ago to this season, and, and you know that one was one that I was would have had trouble 
guessing, and I probably would have, if we had done this before the awards, said that I thought McKinnon was going to win. But, you know, otherwise I thought uh, the awards went more or less how I expected. And, you know, maybe another surprise, and it's probably not the spirit of the question you're asking, was, you know, just how well I thought it went uh, handling some serious issues. You know, mm-hmm. not the wrong coast, Right. Uh, the, the kids from Marjorie Stoneham and, and then the victims of the Las Vegas terror attack from October 1st. And, you know, usually that, that event is, is just kind of goofy. And there was elements of that, of course, but of course. You know, I thought the, the NHL did a great job of, of managing some heavy topics, uh, but doing them justice and, and kind of keeping the spirit of the awards intact. Now, of course, I couldn't agree more, Chris. Of course, with the awards being in Vegas, of course, what were your thoughts on the hometown teams cleaning up? You saw three Golden Knights winning awards. Actually, four. You saw McPhee with GM of the Year. You saw Carlson win Lady Bing. You saw England win an award. And you saw, I mean, it was a big day for Vegas winning awards in, on, on back on Wednesday night, Chris. Well, I mean, it, it would have been a crime if you had an expansion team <laughs> win, win its division and, and they didn't get recognized with yeah. some individual hardware. And, Absolutely. You know, I think especially Gerard Glan and, and George McPhee, you know, two guys that were working on that team or, you know, working for that team before there was a team, before there were players, uh, before the expansion draft. And, and you know, it's hard to argue any GM did more than McPhee did because he built this thing from scratch and, and they so far outkicked all of our expectations. And I think you similarly look at that for Jordan Lant, that he took a team where guys are introducing themselves en masse on the first day of training camp, and you know, they became the team, and you know, the voting's done after the regular season, but they got within three wins of the Stanley Cup. I mean, it's just an incredible year, and, and you know, William Carlson was a breakout candidate. So, you know, I, I do think that that was just, and, and you know, it's kind of cool now that the awards, at least for a couple of years while they're still in Vegas, uh, there's actually a team there, and so there was you know a lot of Golden Knights fans that. Uh, we're able to see their own guys uh, pick up the trophies. You you mentioned at least for now the awards in Vegas. Um, I you know we talked about it I, briefly in Vegas with Avery and we just kind of banter back and forth. But it, is it time for the like the NHL draft for the awards maybe to start moving around uh, to other cities? You know maybe we'll see or or maybe the draft and the awards share the same city. So uh, for example, you look at the draft in Vancouver next year. Uh, maybe you know the awards in Vancouver, or you know, you, you, you get what I'm saying. But is, is it time for for the awards to move, or or is Vegas kind of the home of the NHL awards? I, I think they have to move, and, and I think the league either has to have more separation between the awards and the draft, or just have them in the same city, because you know it's it's a real tough thing, especially for the GMs uh, and the agents that that you know want to be right. there for their clients or the, or. You know the players on their team. You know on a big night when they can win an award, but there's just so much league business that's happening uh, at that same period. And, and you know basically most people flew out on Wednesday on red eyes uh, to Dallas so that they could be in Dallas Thursday where there's a general mm-hmm. manager's meeting. You know obviously trade talks getting going for those guys. And, and you know I think it's a lot to ask uh, to, to have to travel across the country. You know, I even think when we went Vegas to Buffalo or Vegas to Chicago. I mean it's the geographies. It, it, an issue there and, and you know there's two more years left on the deal that the league made with Vegas uh, to hold it there so we do have two more years of this uh, but Bill Daly did tell me that uh, after that uh, it's going to move around and you know I don't think the league decided on an exact plan uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it come as a package deal with the, the draft just because you know really the draft is almost like a convention of hockey I mean it's, mm-hmm. it's where most of the you know most of the journalists or a good percentage of the journalists that cover the league are there you know, basically every player agent's there. You have all the, the junior coaches and, and 
you know, coaches from overseas that have players that are up to be drafted there. You have the NHL head coaches, assistant coaches, AHL coaches, general managers, assistant GMs. I mean, you get the picture. I mean, it's the closest thing we get. We're literally, you know, everyone attached to uh, the hockey world is, is in one place. And I think it'd be pretty special, actually, for all those people to be able to attend awards as well. And, and you know, so then maybe Taylor Hall's junior coach uh, is is that 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 award show when he wins the Hart Trophy and you know could take some measure of pride for uh, you know the role he played in Taylor's development just to come up with one you know example off the top of my head but I do think that that's probably the longer term model uh, but you know two more years of Vegas so let's enjoy it and get our gaming in and uh, you know we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens yeah uh, you know come 2021. Now, of course, and you mentioned, of course, the two years in Vegas. What was it like, Chris, to see, I guess, an Izzy McKinnon or a Taylor Hall walk around the city of Las Vegas and have no really know who they are? Because as a hockey journalist, you've seen, you've been around the league, Chris, and you've seen, like, Taylor Hall get mobbed in Edmonton, New Jersey, whatever, whatever. And seeing him being ignored, I'm sure it's kind of funny to see him being really ignored in, in Vegas, Chris. Well, I mean, that's Vegas. I mean, <laughs> you can sit down at a blackjack table and look over and, you know, there's someone famous. I, I was in the Cosmopolitan Hotel earlier this year, and O.J. Simpson was there, and, and no one was making that big a deal of it. I mean, you know, it's just a place where uh, I guess you can blend into the scenery bit. And, and you know, funny story, last year's award show, I, I was walking around the hotel, and, and I actually bumped into Nathan McKinnon, and he wasn't up for any awards. And he was just there in street clothes, like shorts and a T-shirt, uh, because Crosby had to come to, to pick up an award, and they were going on a golf trip afterwards. So, uh, you know, last year Nathan was there just kind of quickly as a fan, uh, you know, getting a ride on Sid's private plane. And, and, you know, this year he was up for the heart and finished second in a, a pretty close vote. So, you know, I, I do think in, in the big picture, the move of the award show to Vegas has been an improvement. You know, that's, what, eight, nine, mm-hmm. ten years, somewhere mm-hmm. yeah. in that range. But, you know, the attendance from the players is high I think the guys like going there their families you know you can do whatever you want there whether it's shows or great dinners or gambling or nightclubs I mean pools they, they got they got a little bit of everything in, yeah. in a small concentrated area and, and you know I do think it's a place players like to go um, so that, that's that been a positive but you know none of the teams in that city and the fact that they've had so many there it is probably time to, to move it around and share the love so Chris let's talk about Dallas for a second uh you know, a city we're just at, and you cover the NHL draft for, for two days. Uh, <clears throat> we talked about surprises at the awards. Was there any, I guess, major surprise that stood out to you in the within the seven rounds of the draft? I know for me, uh, just off the top of my head, I know the New York Islanders uh, got got some, you know, some talented prospects that they didn't think they'd be there. I know you look at the Edmonton Oilers, I don't think they... They thought either Noah Dobson or Evan Broussard would be there. I mean, was there any other big surprises for you at all that stood out? Uh, those ones, you know, I think Zadina falling to, to the Red Wings was a bit of a surprise. And then they got Joey Valeno, too, at the end of the first round. And, right. You know, I don't think they thought they would have any chance at either of those players. You know, it was a funny draft. I mean, beyond what was clearly a well-defined one-two with Rasmus Dahlin and Andrei Svechnikov, you know, there there wasn't a lot of you know there, there wasn't a lot of sort of groupthink on, on how the rest should go, and I think that that's why we saw so many players fall. I mean, usually there's one. You know, in this case, we're we're off the top of our heads naming four or five right. just in the first round, just among you know really the the top cluster of picks that that we were surprised to see go as low as they did, and, and I think it's a product of the fact that that there just wasn't you know much consensus here 
on how it should go. And so each team was working off its own list. And, and you know, we, we did see some guys go down. I, I really like that Philip Zadina, you know, reacted to, to being passed over by, you know, Montreal and Ottawa <laughs> by saying he's going to fill, fill their nets. You know, I think that that's, first of all, in general, I think it's a fun comment. It's something hockey can use more of. And it's actually kind of a cool sub-story because, you know, by going to Detroit, he'll be in the same division. And assuming we keep divisional playoffs, you know, at some point those teams will be meeting each other. And I'm sure that'll be brought up again. So, you know, it, it, there was some surprises with the way the picks went. Uh, you know, I was also surprised there wasn't more trades because there certainly was a lot of dialogue on that front. Um, but, you know, sometimes that's the way it goes. And, and you know, I still think we're going to have a busy period to come here as we get closer to July 1st. So, Chris, can you talk about, I mean, being in Edmonton now and obviously, you know, being close to the Oilers, can you, can you let fans know what they get in a guy like Evan Bouchard? We talk about, I heard is he's got a wicked shot. You know, he's put up some points in junior with the London Knights who's had that historic franchise in the OHL. I mean, what what's is there one or two or three things that that stand out to you that that really makes uh, this a, a really good fit for the Edmonton Oilers and their organization? Well, you know, I know a few scouts who believe that Bouchard, you know, could make the Oilers next year out of camp, and and you know, some of that is is developing on the summer. You know how things go here in the next couple months. I think some of it's indicative of where the Oilers are at, uh, you know, looking to make some improvements to their blue line, and we'll see if they can make a trade maybe now that they weren't able to get done at the draft week. But, you know, it, it was a player that we didn't expect to be there for Edmonton's pick. And, and, you know, I think at one point the Oilers might have thought of trying to move up to get him, and then as things started unfolding, they, they, they got a sense that they were able to, to get him just where they were, and, and you know, they, they ended up pulling on to that number 10. And, and you know, so he's a player with, with tons of upside. And, and you know, it's, it's hard as a 18, 19-year-old defenseman to jump right into the NHL. So, you know, I'm not certain that, that he'll be playing for Edmonton next season. But, you know, I think it's a, a great pick for what that organization needs, uh, you know, for what Peter Shirley has identified as, as a weakness and, and, you know, trying to improve his blue line. And, man, what a bonus he'll be if it turns out uh, he comes to training camp and, and they deem him ready to jump into the lineup just because, you know, it's it's hard to, to find what he brings. I mean, he'll, he'll be on a cost-controlled deal, and, you know, if he, if he helps make them better while making $925,000, I mean, that's good business in the cap world. It really is, Chris. Of course, with the Oilers, I know later on the draft, they, they drafted Olivier Rodrigue in the goaltender. And right now, the Oilers crease for the future is a bit crowded. You have Olivier Rodrigue, Stuart Skinner, Dylan Wells. I mean, right now, one of these guys, guys will step up and be the goalie of the future. So who do you think out of that group will step up to be potentially Cam Thomas' backup among Rodrigue, Dylan Wells, and Stuart Skinner in your mind, Chris? Well, you know, I have to admit, I don't know enough about each of them to say which who has a favorite. But, you know, I, I do think it's smart to have a few different, you know, players that way. I mean, goaltenders remain kind of the the one position that I think teams still haven't totally figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, from year to year, we see, you know, goalies vacillate between being clear number one and struggling. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, there, there's not a, a real development pattern, uh, you know, in terms of how many years you need to, to develop. The same way, you know, we see with skaters. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt Murray is an example where he didn't have a tremendous junior career didn't play for Canada at the World Juniors, and yet he's winning two Stanley Cups by the age of 23. And, you know, most goaltenders uh, have to spend time in the AHL and don't, you know, get much action, you know, prior to that age. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very unpredictable position. And so when, when you look at how you, you want to build your team, I, I don't think it's a bad thing 
had to have a few guys, you know, at the lower levels and kind of let the, the math sort itself out, whichever one, you know, played for performs more consistently, whoever puts up uh, better save percentages over time. I think it, I think that they'll, there's almost an economy to that. I mean, the problem, of course, being you can only play one at a time. Um, but, you know, when you, when you see them, uh, I, I do think they kind of sort themselves out that way. So uh, I don't know enough about the, the, those individuals, Avery, but, you know, what I can say is that having a group, you know, it, it's, it's a way more likely you're going to find what you need in there because, you know, goalies are voodoo. I think that's the saying I've seen thrown around Twitter, and, and it really is true. I mean... And sometimes when you when you get the guy like Scott Darling, he turns out, you know, as Cam Talbot did in year one at Edmonton, mm-hmm. and then other years Scott Darling, you know, can't handle being a number one. I mean, it really is just all over the map, and, and um, you know, you've got to you've got to give these guys some time. So I want to look ahead uh, quickly. We'll let you go here in a, a few minutes. I want to look ahead to July one. I mean, every year I think there's a lot of hype around July one and. Oh, it's going to be this year's the year. It's going to be busy. It's going to there's going to be action. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. There's going to be this, and then there's a little bit a bit of action, and and not much panned out. There's there's some signings here and there, and then it's not really exciting. Now, do you expect this year to be different, or I mean, is is it really hard to gauge the the action? You you looked at uh, and you touched on the amount of trade talks of the draft that really didn't come to fruition. That you know could potentially cut or become something. Do you expect it uh, to be a busy week, uh, the ten days? Well, I hope it is. I think that's the, <laughs> the most sincere way I can answer that question. You know, it's 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 tough to know, and, and you know, I do think that there's a huge amount of trade talk. I mean, it, we're we're not really dealing with a very high end class of free agents, especially now that John Carlson's you know resigned in Washington. Right. You know, John Tavares still may or may not be leaning towards a reunion with the New York Islanders. So if the only two kind of blue chip players uh, that were going to be on the market at all are, are off it you know, before we get to July 1st, uh, I do think that the possibility for those trades goes up a bit. You know, And, and we have some you know, legitimate, you know, if not quite star players, certainly notable players on the market, You know, guys like Artemi Panarin, Jeff Skinner, Max Pacioretty. You know, I, th- I think that there's a lot of teams out there looking for scoring help, and you know, it, the, the, a couple have struck out now on Ilya Kovalchuk. You know, Boston, San Jose, and Vegas were the, the three runners up there, and trying to get his services. You know, San Jose and Boston are both involved in the Tavares talks, and if they don't, you know, if they don't find a home, you know, for him with them, I mean, they're, they're two teams that, that still have holes, and I think that they're going to be motivated, and, and maybe the answers for them aren't on the free agent market because uh, there's not a ton of guys that, that, that fit those needs. I mean, unless they want to go to a James Neal. Uh, maybe in Boston's case, go back to Rick Nash, uh, but you know they, they might decide at that point that, that a trade is the best way for them to improve. So, you know, I do think that there's a bit of a, an undercurrent here of a possibility for those moves. But you know, you're right. Your, your observation is correct. That that often we get a little ahead of ourselves. We pump it up. We get excited, and, and it, it disappoints. And, and you know, I don't want to be guilty of that here. But you know, I think that there's a lot of teams that have a lot of cap room because the cap went up. Uh, by four and a half million dollars and, and I think that they have a lot of incentive to add and, and you know I hope it is a busy period because for me this is as much fun sometimes as the games just seeing you know how, how the, the start of the silly season starts. 
Exactly. I couldn't agree more, Chris. I, mean, I, I, I heard now rumors that um, there's, there's talk that James Neal was having issues resigning with the Golden Knights. He's kind of surprised that James Neal is, is testing the waters now and really considering, you know, I may want to go somewhere else and not really stay in Vegas because if I were him, why would you want to really want to leave? You, you you become a franchise here or there. You might get good money, but I guess if you're James Neal, why not test the waters and try and see who else can be your suitor, I guess, for next season going forward, Chris? It's all about the Benjamins, brother. You know, I think that... A James in the stage of life, you know, he's have, this might be the last chance at this, you know, where, right. where he's still in, in somewhat a demand, and, you know, I think what he's seeking, even more than money, is security, Right. and, you know, one, one thing Vegas has really prioritized, I mean, by starting the way they started, they, they didn't really have any bad contracts, they took on, you know, a couple deals, uh, Mikhail Grabowski, David Clarkson, guys who were injured, but they didn't have what I would deem to be bad contracts, you know, weighing them down the way most other teams have accrued over time and, and you know, I think that they really want to protect that that fact and, and the way they've decided they can do it is by holding firm and not giving out long-term deals to guys into their late 30s and you know James Neal uh, you know I don't think they want to go longer than three years with them to be honest and, and you know he's probably going to get five years from someone on the open market and, and so you know I, I do believe it's just it's a straight decision you know to, to try to lengthen out his career to try to make uh, get a few more dollars guaranteed to him and, and you know he, he's earned the right as, as being a UFA but I'm with you in a sense that I do know he really liked it in Vegas you know he had a, a great season he scored something like four of their first six goals in franchise history including the first goal and uh, you know I know he became quite close to Bill Foley actually uh, the owner of the team who was very involved and you know, at one point James Neal was, was going down to California on an off day to Bill's uh, he's, he's got uh, a wine business and going to the vineyard there and, and you know I think it was a great fit for him in Vegas but um, you know it's 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 so tough I mean it's even for, for guys like us it's, it's hard to evaluate because you know we we hopefully not would get careers into our 50s and 60s mm -hmm. and, and yeah. you know for for these guys you know getting to 33 34 in the league now is a real achievement you're only seeing that out of the absolute best of the best the guys right. like you know Joe Thornton or Yarmir Yager I've right. you know, done it. Marty St. Louis did it, but you know, it, it's really hard to get past 30 in this league. It's it's just gotten younger and younger, and the skill levels increased. I mean, it's made for fun hockey, but I think when you're at the stage of life that the James Neal is, he's he's just being very honest with himself that that he's got to try to get the best long-term deal he can get because it might be his final deal as an NHL player. So, Chris, last one for you, and we'll let you uh, get to bed because we know it's late, uh, <laughs> late in Toronto and you need your... And I'm getting old. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, you think we all need our beauty sleep. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. We, we need beauty sleep. <laughs> um, you know, what, what's the process like for you during this time? You know, after the draft, you know, gearing up for July 1st, are you, are you in touch with, you know, agents? Are you in touch with, with players? Like, how does... For you, what is what is a July July first and so on look like in the mind of of Chris Johnson? You know, are you constantly on your iPhone, your BlackBerry, your computer? You know, in touch with with certain you know parties or individuals or really how does that how does that work for you? Well, if I'm being honest, I'm a pain in the ass right now. Put <laughs> your magic there, and, and you know, I mean, part of part of the job I do is, is just being persistent and. Uh, trying to keep in as active of contact with people as you can. You know, it can be tough. I mean, especially for the agents. Uh, some of them have multiple clients that are going through interview periods right now, and those guys are working the phone on behalf of their clients and don't have a ton of time to, to help the media too much. 
and so you just got to stay on them and, and you know I'm trying to find out as much as I can get a sense of what teams are looking for what things to, to you know make some matches in my mind and you know it's it's a fun time I, I don't mean to, to make it sound negative in any way I, you know I quite enjoy it but you know it's it's busy and, and especially when you get to the draft I mean your head's spinning because every you know at, at every moment you're bumping into someone and so you have to think you know what can I ask them about you know it, you have to be sort of quick on your feet about trying yeah. to get pieces of information, little morsels from them. Right. Um, and you know, I can tell you, my wife gets quite annoyed with me because I insist on having the, the notifications on my phone. So every text and email is a beep. And she said, as soon as free agency's over, you got to turn those off because <laughs> she wants a little bit more quiet. <laughs> but I, I, I've got I've got the pass for a couple more days to uh, be going crazy on the phone, and then hopefully it uh, slows down into July. But you know, honestly, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really. Uh, grateful and lucky to get to do what I do and, and you know when you're just trying to, to get news out there you're trying to tell people as best as you can what's what's going on behind the scenes and, and you know the one thing about the interview period is we tend to know by the time it gets to July 1st we're, we're not there yet it's just opened up but we, we tend to have a pretty good idea who's heading where because I think it's brought some order behind the scenes you know to, to the people making those decisions I mean in the old days when it just opened on July 1st uh, you know, teams and, and both players, depending on what we're talking about, had to make decisions within 15 minutes. You, you'd offer someone a contract and say, I need an answer in 15 minutes or go in another direction. And it was, you know, far more of a scramble. Whereas I think this has brought some order to the process for the people that go through it. Uh, just on my end, uh, I'm trying to, to shake as much information out of the tree and uh, <laughs> share that with the readers and listeners that uh, consume my work. Hey, Chris, we, we appreciate you, and we're we're so grateful for this opportunity and your support and your your friendship. Uh, I, I hope you have fun, man. Let's, let's do this again very soon, and uh, best of luck this week, and uh, hopefully we'll be in touch this summer. Awesome, boys. You guys are doing great, and uh, I'm happy to come on anytime. All right, uh, thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Awesome. Chris Johnston. All right, guys, that was Chris Johnston of Rogers Sportsnet, uh, hockey insider, hockey writer, uh, hockey reporter, really the jack of all trades with Sportsnet. Um, mm-hmm. a- incredible stuff. He literally, uh, we had a guest lined up in studio. Uh, he literally came on, you know, kind of flashing the pants. He wasn't sure if he was able to do it uh, due to some things at home. And he made it work. He made it happen. So uh, we're here, and and he did it. So we're so grateful for Chris to be able to do that. And uh, thank you again so much for that. Now, Chris is one of the gems of the sports world. I first met Chris. Um, I first met Chris about four years ago at an event called Pup Talks in Toronto. And the best part is Chris, Chris approached me first. I was like, hey, I saw you around at certain events. What's your name? Like, that's the kind of guy Chris is. Yeah. He'll, he'll go up to a young reporter, introduce himself before you do at an event. You know what? That's what you got to do. Everybody's here to help each other. Yeah. Uh, nobody's trying to step on toes. Everybody's trying to get, you know, something and that piece of info or that interview clip or whatever whatever it may be. So uh, it's it's fun. And, and uh, Chris is a good guy to have in our corner. So, Jim, thank you. Uh, so much for that. Really now, uh, quickly, we'll move forward. We'll do a quick show here tonight. Um, uh, quickly, uh, we'll talk about our experience in Vegas. Um, <laughs> well, <coughs> it's quite 48 hours. It's Brad's here dying on me. Excuse me. Sorry. I, my, my, I lost air there for a minute. Um, uh, what, what an experience it was. It truly was. Um, again, I want to, we, we did a video in Vegas, but I want to thank everybody involved. Uh, Granville Casino, Core Dental, uh, Ryan Shock, Gene Prince of Bay, 
the guys that have really, you know, Louis DeBras, the guys that have really stood behind us mm -hmm. and supported us since day one. So uh, thank you guys so much for that. Uh, Avery, it was fun being in the room with you. And yeah. And uh, Bakken right. video was we fun, and we were roommates for a couple days. Yes, we were. We stayed at the and MGM Grand. This guy eats like a hippo, like an elephant. He a hippo. Like well, this guy forgets eats day. one meal a day. I couldn't believe this guy. Ten meals a day. He's on, we get home, and he's ordering room service at like 4 or 5 o'clock in the you morning. You know how hungry I was? Man. Dude, we went. We went like, to the awards. Uh, there. I was hungry again. Yeah. Did a video after the awards. I went to the after party, which was lit, but there's certain things we we won't we oh, say yeah. too much about. We'll limit we'll that. We'll, we'll, hey, I will tell you one thing. <laughs> uh, the one thing I'll tell you about that, right? Lindsay Vaughn, she just about broke my hand. No, she like. She came back in a cast. If you, Lindsay Vaughn, that was If you've seen on our Facebook, there's a picture of um, myself, Brad, PK Subban, and his girlfriend, Lindsay Vaughn, Let Me Go Metal Downhill Skier. And no, like, her grip was wow. Um, of any athlete. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've had a ton of athletes, but that was the strongest handshake ever. That that was, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, but I guess just Brad's rewards were uh, fun. And I guess just we did the red carpet as well too, and being on the red carpet, that was the who's who of the hockey world in terms of players, media, celebrities. Colin Hanks is there as well. Uh, Linda, the the original Wonder, Wonder Woman. Linda, yeah, Linda Carter uh, was Linda on there. Linda Carter was there as well. Alexander Ovechkin, you name it, they were there. Yeah, and we. Uh, and, I don't know if you've listened already, a one-on-one -on -one interview, Connor McDavid, uh, Brian Boyle. Brian Boyle. McDavid was incredible. Thank you, And we're going to post a week by tomorrow, our interviews with Kevin Sheveldayoff and Gary Bettman. Yes, you heard that right. Yes. We interviewed Gary Bettman. Your boy's got Gary Bettman. Your boy's got Gary Bettman. <laughs> although, you heard that right. Although the one guy I wish we, unfortunately, we were a little bit behind schedule, one guy I wish we did get was Willie O'Ree. When we got there, he was leaving in the red carpet, unfortunately. I want, you know, I want to talk about William Reed for a minute, and you, you, you're very candid about this, so mm. I'm going to tread lightly. Willie O'Ree in the Hockey Hall of Fame will find out tomorrow. For me, he's got my vote. This is a guy that Absolutely. needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Avery. Mm. Um, he is the, the only, this is the only sport, the National Hockey League, that has not inducted a black man. Am I correct? No. Like, the, 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 well, the color barrier is interesting because the color barrier was technically broken by Henry Marshall, first native right. player. But yeah, the first black man in basketball, baseball, and football on the Hall of Fame. Hockey? No. It's been 50, yeah. sorry, 60 years since Willie O'Ree's first game in the NHL. He's done so much for the game off the ice, on the ice. Right. And no induction? Yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm going to tell you, in this day... I don't want to sound morbid here. Why does the NHL wait till somebody dies to induct them? Well, my NHL is more Hall of Fame. You, you, you look at you look at yeah, Pat uh, Pat Burns. Pat Burns was the same thing. He should have been in the Hall of Fame long before mm -hmm. everything happened, right? And and now you look at Willie O'Ree. He's not getting any younger. I think it's time to induct this man before you know it's it's too late. He should have been in 25 years ago. He really should have been. I agree with you and. I couldn't agree more. This guy's a pioneer. No, and people want to say, oh, look at his NHL numbers. This is not the NHL Hall of Fame. This is the Hockey Hall of Fame. He had one of the most storied minor league careers of all time. Yes. Like, I mean, Vlazov um, Trechak is in the Hall of Fame. Vlazov Trechak <laughs> played zero minutes in the NHL. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's... Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know what they're waiting on. I, I don't know. There's... You look at the Devontae Smith-Pellies, the Anson Carters, the Mike Greers, the Joe Wards of the world in the NHL now. 
who did they idolize? You ask them, they, most of them idolized William Lee. Yes. Because he was the first black man in the NGO, and they thought, hey, if he can do it, I can. Exactly. Like, the struggles that Willie went through. Like, <coughs> I, like if, if, you know, if, you, if you haven't watched it before, there's a great movie, um, that was shot by my, uh, a great movie by my friend, um, Kwame Mason, where you were known for quite shout a Shout out time. to Kwame. Great dude. Great, great dude. Met him in Vegas. Shout met, out to Kwame. Met Anson Carter through Kwame in Vegas. <laughs> He'll be on the show very, very soon. Anson <laughs> Carter. I've seen his tweet. We love you too, Anson. Yes, and Kwame went through the history of the black hockey players, the black, the, the colored hockey league in Nova Scotia. True story. The slap shot was invented by black hockey players in Nova Scotia, not Boom Boom Jeffreyon. And NHL. Wow. Yes. Take that, Boom Boom Jeffreyon. Holy, wait a minute. Yeah, that's some big news. And the colored hockey league that. was the first league to allow goalies to drop to their knees to make a save. Wow. Like the, hey, the encyclopedia hey, of black history is great. I gotta step I up, it. and the fact that the point is that with the documentary of Sola Nice, Kwame went through the past, present, and future of black hockey players. He went through Willie O'Ree, he went through Tony McKegney, Grant Fuhrer, uh, Malcolm Subban, Jordan Subban, right. and they all credit Willie as the reason they got into hockey. As a guy, if it wasn't for Willie, they wouldn't be here. So that's the other thing, I, this guy broke the barrier. Put him in the energy. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Put kind of loud Gary Bettman or whoever, or Lanny McDonald or whoever makes these just make the right call and put this man in the Hall of Fame. If, hey, you said it best the other day. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't get the Hall of Fame, I'm riding with you. It's it's over. We're riding down downtown Edmonton if we'll read the second Hall of Fame. Like it would be like I don't feel Hall of Fame. Like how do you not put him in? Like I, I understand the league, the Hall of Fame is so much about numbers. All, other Hall of Fames. Taking the context of players' impact, hockey is so hard bent on numbers, which to me is insane. Look at the context of what a player has done for Absolutely. the game's history. Don't just look at just straight numbers in my mind. Absolutely. Um, you look at. I, I do want to uh, stick with the whole thing just for a second. Mm-hmm. Who else do you think is a lot? I I think Martin Brodeur is a lot. Mm-hmm. Martin yes. Brodeur absolutely in the whole thing. There's no questions asked. Outside, let, let's say Martin Brodeur and Willie Reed get in. Who are your other candidates to get in tomorrow? Uh, Haley Wickenheiser should definitely be in. And another name who I don't know how he keeps getting overlooked, but Sergey Zuboff is on a Hall of Famer. Guess what? That guy, won, not not everybody, not my only player, that was one of the players I played with in every NHL series in EA Sports. Was Sergey Zuboff. I needed to be the 90s Dallas Stars. Sergey Zuboff was one of my favorite players of all time. Him and Mike Badano. Like, I don't understand. He's one of the best Russian defensemen of all time. Multi-cup winner. Like, the, he has a hardware. And yet, not in the Hall of Fame? I don't get it, Brad. I don't understand how Zuboff Zuboff is still on the outside looking in for Hall of Fame induction. I think we need a new Hall of Fame committee. Just saying. Me and Avery, hey, we'll drop our resumes off. Showtime. We'll put people in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, uh, I, I want to I wrap this up. Make this quick tonight. Again, thank you guys so much for your support. We did a, I did a Kevin Carey Thieves for Shield golf tournament today. Absolutely incredible. Some good stuff coming from that. Uh, we spoke. We had a great meeting with Don Metz of the Oilers Entertainment Group. Some big stuff hopefully come from that. I also had an announcement for you, sir. Yes. And we see our friend Barry Peterson, a big fan of the show. Um, he's got connections with the Alberta Podcast Network in Alberta. Okay. And they want to meet with us. Um, to have a show on their network, 
Well, is that um, so? So we're, we're so we're gonna do that, and we're gonna we're gonna link that up. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks. Again, shout out to Barry uh, for that one, and uh, thanks for the hookup. Um, again, we'll keep you posted on what happens next week, guys. You're not gonna want to. I will announce it so people are prepared and ready to roll. I, I just texted him. I got a text back. We are confirmed. We are ready to rock. Gene Prisbet live in studio. Right here in Grand Villa Casino, the man, the myth, the Italian stallion, <laughs> our friend Gene Principe, live in studio again next week, eight o'clock Monday. Be here, be square. Thank you guys so so much. See you next week again. Thanks, Core Dental, Grand Villa Casino, Raymar, Shaq. Amanda, all those guys at, at Cordental and Granville again, man. Thank you guys so much. I know I've said it a few times. I'm sorry. Avery, it was a pleasure, man. See you guys next Congrats. week, 8 o'clock. We're out. Thanks. Hey, gang. Don't go away just yet. This past weekend, I sat down with one of the original Much Music VJs, the legendary, the iconic Master T before he emceed the Soundtrack Music Festival here at Edmonton this past weekend. Check it out. We had a blast talking about his career, college basketball, the World Cup, and so much more. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what is up? What is up? We are here with a segment for the Brad and Avery Hour, and I'm sitting in a hotel room in the Chateau Lacombe with someone who I know well. Before I was even born, you knew my parents. <laughs> if you grew up in the late 90s, 80s, early 2000s, you know his name, you know his voice, you know his look. I'm sitting down here with the one and only Tony Young, a.k.a. Master T, the legendary Much Music VJ. Tony, how you doing, buddy? What's Thank up, you for having me. Good. Good, man. You're looking good. And uh, you've been raised well. <laughs> <laughs> just, just by that intro alone, you're good. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. So, well, I'm sure people can listen to the podcast wondering, what is Tony Young doing in Edmonton? So, Tony, why don't you tell people what you're doing here in Edmonton? What's well, uh, I was invited out here um, to uh, be the MC for the Soundtrack uh, Music Festival, Volume 1. Uh, which features uh, Goo Goo Dolls, TLC, uh, Mace, uh, Bly Melon, Eve Six, uh, plus uh, a few other uh, 90s, uh, 90s groups. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great. It's exciting to be back in Edmonton. I haven't been here for a number of years. But it's also amazing to be, you know, uh, to be the MC of, uh, you know, such a, a huge show. Um, and just the fact that, you know, these groups are, no disrespect to Edmonton, that these groups are all coming out here to Edmonton right. to to bring back a whole bunch of '90s memories, um, and 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 that, and that would be would have been when much music was really, really, and truly in their heyday. And um, I got to give a, um, a, sh a shout out to Brennan uh, for uh, you know for for inviting me out here, and uh, I really and truly appreciate it. Of course, I'm for yourself. Don't feel good that young people are saying, you know, let's do this kind of event. And hey, I'm after TMC because for so many people who are you know, I would say about. 25 and up, you were the voice, you were the face of music in this country for a very long time. Yeah, you know what? I mean, it's a good feeling. And now that I'm older, uh, you know, you, you you embrace it more. You understand, you know, what your role was. And uh, for me, it was one of the most important things for me was actually to get out of Toronto. And once you got out of Toronto, you really got a better understanding of what was out there uh, nationally uh, and, and what much music meant to uh, people. And, uh, you know, even to this day, like, you know, it's it was a a pivotal network for, for, you know, you, uh, people's teen teen years. I mean, that's where they got music. That's where they found out about fashion. They found mm. out about culture. 
Uh, they found out um, a lot of things and recorded a lot of it on VHS tapes. Um, so, um, so yeah, most music was really, really powerful in terms of you know the you know now what is uh, the uh, known as social media. Social media was much music. Um, that's what much music was to a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, it really was. Of course, for yourself, you know, knowing your journey, I know you didn't really want to be an on-air host. Like you were going to be an actor, and yes. then you're a camera guy, and right. then you went, and then you were on air as one of the very first VJs. Right. And like, what was it like seeing you know much music go from this smaller music company? becoming this juggernaut that is known worldwide? Well, you know, you've done your research. <laughs> as long as I've known you, <laughs> I'm like, man, you've done your research. Um, yeah, you know what? It, it, it was amazing because, um, you know, when I started back in uh, 84, I was a videotape operator. Mm -hmm. um, so I was behind the scenes putting in all the music videos. And then I became, as you said, a cameraman. And then, um, you know, and I, you know, it was Moses Neimer who said, hey, you know what, I think you've got some talent, you know, I want you to be, you know, I want you to be a VJ. And I was also doing some acting as well. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be a VJ. I'm not, you know, I'm not handsome enough. I'm not good looking enough. But yet, <laughs> but yet at the same time, I wanted to be an actor. So it was kind of confusing. Um, but, you know, but then I eventually got the nod. Um, you know, I created a show called Extendemix. Um, we, um, we did a pilot for it. And, uh it was mass. Um, it was called Extendemix, and um, and I created my co-host, which was Roxy, which was my wife's voice, put into this keyboard, and um, and the show just took off. Like it was just, I think it was the the level of my acting frustrations because I did all these characters. I did a Scottish character. I did like uh, a Barry White uh, character. <laughs> I did all these different characters from my you know days of being a frustrated actor. Um, and I incorporated it all into what I believe was a very unique uh, program. And, and, and it really caught on very, very quickly. Um, you know, I mean, by, like, I was doing the show two weeks uh, on Much Music, and after two weeks, the head of sales came to me and said, hey, how are you? And he's smiling at me. I'm like, well, what are you smiling at? I, don't, I barely even know you. And um, he's like, oh, we, and then, uh, next week, you're going to have a sponsor. I'm like, really? And, and it was Mars Bar. Mars Bar jumped on, on the show. And to get a big national sponsor like that was, you know, at the time, it was like, okay, whatever. But it was huge. That's uh, incredible. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. And, of course, your shows must be they're innovative, they're funny, that personality. And, of course, for yourself, you're one of the first black men to be on TV nationally at any platform, be it, be it in news, be it in music, be it in sports. You're, like, you were the person who was known to be, you know, the first real front of black man in TV in this country, Tony. Yeah, you know, and I, I got to give it up to uh, Michael Williams. Um, he was there too. Um, you know, yeah, no, no, for sure. And, and you know, there's no choice. Yeah, he uh, he was there. But I think for me, what what the the, the difference for me was the fact that um, I knew I was black, and I was never afraid of letting people know I was black. Uh, and uh, you know, and when you came and watched my show, it was a black music show. Yes. Um, I had um, at one point we had a clothesline behind uh, behind me, and um, and people were saying, "Well, what's that?" You know, people, People in Toronto um, actually came up to me and said, um, I called my wife one time and said, what's that clothesline doing on behind you? You know, it's, it, you know, it's such a negative image for black people. And my wife said, are, are you looking at the messages that are on, the, you know, that are on the, those T-shirts? We had messages from, at the time, in the 90s, there was a real, you know, uh, political um, messages that, you know, that were placed on T-shirts. So there was like, you know, anything from like, you know, Showing black strength, showing mm -hmm. black culture. Um, T-shirt companies like Two Black Guys, uh, Nubian Classic, uh, and they all promoted the fact that you know, uh, you know, strong black images, black messages. You know, you know the, that was the days of um, you know, um, 
public enemy and you know there's a real uh, social consciousness and so I was you know I was aware of it and um, what was amazing was people used to send messages and uh, at the time write letters <laughs> and say hey you know what what's that t-shirt you had up there I think it's great and you know, where can I get this t-shirt and we eventually opened, actually opened up a store um, called T's Crib that's um, you know where we actually housed um, all these you know t-shirts that had you know such positive messages um, uh, and yeah, at the same time, I was never afraid to, to invite and talk to you know guests at Black History Month and, and, and share our culture and talk openly about our, our community and um, and let young you know black kids know that hey, you know, I'm 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 out there, you know, I, I, I'm am I your mentor? No, um, mm-hmm. am I a black face that you can you know have the ability to to look and and, and embrace? Yes, and uh, so yeah, so it, it was definitely positive, and and it's still. You know, is is moving through to the to this day as well. So I'm 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 really blessed for that. No, really. You mentioned the Black Movement. Now you're seeing, of course, the people in American County seeing the Black Movement again. What are your thoughts on people like Don Glover and Kendrick Lamar having uh, music videos and songs? They're very pro-Black and very pro-Black rights now in 2018. What are your thoughts on those guys? Well, you know, I mean, you know, there's um, you know, there's a lot of movements that you know, you know. you know that are you know Black Lives uh, Black Lives Matter. You know there's there's a there's a a lot of movements now where I'm I'm glad like you know with with so many images you know that you know that that still show you know that uh, image of hip hop as being you know you know women bouncing their booties and a G string and there's a car there's a Lambo and you know like all this music and. Uh, and no disrespect to that. Yeah, that has a place, and you know, um, but at the same time, it's, it's positive that we now are starting to have, you know, a level of consciousness, and um, you know, because you can't live in America without having an understanding that, you know, uh, there's someone in power that really isn't checking for black people, mm-hmm. really isn't checking for people uh, of of of, uh, of other uh, diverse nations. Like he's just not. And um, and he's open about it. He's not even hiding it. No. Um, and as as he opens it up, it opens up a lot of other people to go, hey, well, you know, I'm I'm against uh, black people, and I can openly say that because you know Donald says so. Um, you know, so you know, we have to have a, a level of understanding and, and and connection as 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 a community as well. And and I think that's what you know. I think that's what you're starting to see, where you know these these artists are like, hey, man, you know. It's great to put out this music, put out music, but you know we we also want to touch and then enlighten people about who we are um, as a people and enlighten people in terms of what's going on uh, in the country as well. Yeah, absolutely, couldn't agree more. Of course, people are gonna wonder, you know, hey, what's keep it up to since two thousand and one? Like, what have you been up to? I know you you've been you behind the scenes more. Right. I know you're turning probably you're you're turning more to do work behind in front of the camera again. Right. So what have you been, what have you been doing from 2001? I know, I know I know what you've been doing, right. but I know. But um, yeah, people don't know what you've been doing since 2001. We've been doing. Well, I, uh, when I left um, yeah. March 2001, uh, I ended up getting a uh, an al- um, an album deal with EMI mm-hmm. uh, for uh, uh, EMI Records for um, a compilation uh, compilation album deal. So I had a six uh, six uh, compilation album deal. So I put out. Um, uh, I put out uh, dance, uh, not dance. I, I put out two records. Uh, one was um, one was a, a reggae compilation. Another one was like a, an urban uh, compilation as well. And you know, and so be it. The timing coming out around two thousand one was like, hey, people have learned to download. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my association with dance mix over the, over the years, um, you know, people, you know, connected me with uh, um, um, their dance mix uh, compilations. And so I thought, hey, you know, and everyone thought, this is a great timing. And the difference was just the fact that, you know, people could access the music and download. And, and, that, and that was a big deal at that time. So, mm. you know, the timing was off, but at the same time, you know, still put my name out there. Um, and then also, we, you know, my wife came up with a concept to say, hey, you know, why don't you document, you know, your life to this point? You know, and I'm like, yeah, really? I'm, you know, I'm, you know, as much as I'm out there and I'm, you know, visible, you know, there's a real point where I'm like, I'm very chilled. I'm, you know, I really just, I don't, I don't want, especially, especially people getting in my business, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't about, you know, the book really was more so about, um, it was called Much Master T, One VJ's Journey, uh, written by Dalton Higgins and, um, and also my wife uh, editing as well and writing. And that was, uh, that book really kind of was important to me because it really, uh, documented my life to a certain point, but it also uh, it also kept up with the interviews, behind the scenes of the interviews that people didn't really get an understanding of who or what goes goes into an actual interview. Right. So so I you know, talked about the interview I did with Madonna, uh, Jay Z, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Sade. So a lot of those big interviews, um, you know, that that I done, it gave people, you know. A level of understanding like oh wow like you know he just didn't kind of just walk in here and just kind of show up and uh and so that you know uh that was good um you know getting the book out there and uh, you know actually just recognizing and you know my accomplishments to that point and um and then from there we ended up getting um my wife and i our production company um full set uh, east productions we ended up producing two uh, doc, uh documentaries for uh Sun Sun Tele, uh, Sun TV, uh, and uh, and that was that was great. So the one documentary was a cricket documentary, and um, uh, and the other one was on Carabana, and uh, so that took you know that took a couple of time, um, obviously, at least a couple of years in terms of putting those documentaries together. Um, but it also just showed my level of diversity because I wasn't, yeah. I, you know, I was a, always a producer and always behind the scenes. I was a cameraman prior. So, you know, I, our documentary was, it was like a um, shoot 'em up uh, shoot 'em up style where I'd go out and shoot, shoot the interview, uh, do the interviews, bring it back. My wife would edit it and uh, put it together. And um, yeah, we were real happy with those, those documentaries. And, um, and throughout this time um, as well, my, my son, my oldest son, uh, Khalif, uh, <laughs> which we'll get to, because this is a sports show. Yes, it is. <laughs> My oldest son, Khalif, was, was, was playing ball and mm. um, playing basketball and, you know, playing at a real, you know, he played, obviously, rep and uh, he played for Ontario, played for Canada. Um, and, uh, and you don't realize as a parent just how much it really takes in terms of, you know, putting the level of support you have to give, uh, you know, uh, to not even just transporting him around, but just the, the level of, you know, conversations and the level of, support in terms of you know making sure he's okay and uh and um, guiding him and making sure that uh you know the, the next move uh, that someone has his intentions and you know and not their own intentions and uh so yeah so there was a level of support that my wife and i really had to put in there um and then moving on there um i did some stuff with uh a, a tv network called afro global 
Um, and then I also did something with uh, Fever TV where I was um, uh, producing a 23-part uh, uh, television series on, on some of the more classic artists, um, you know, R&B, soul artists. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did that. And then now currently, um, I've been here now for about four years, uh, which is uh, RX Music, uh, which is a, a music curation uh, company where we customize, you know, the sonic sounds you hear in an environment such as the Chateau Lacombe or uh, Hard Rock Cafes. Um, uh, also, uh, what else have we have? Four Seasons, uh, Marriott's. So, you know, it's, uh, the company's been around for about over 20 years. And, um, you know, I started off, started off as a music consultant. Um, but then uh, I approached uh, our, our CEO, Gina, and I said, look, you know what? You guys have locked down the, the music base of, 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 you know, music curation. I, I still think I got some juice in, juice in me to, to do interviews and, 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 and really put, I wouldn't say I'm going to put them on the map, but really work in terms of you know, building a presence in, uh, a, vocal, a, a focal presence in front. So in terms of you know, doing interviews with you know, various artists, having them come into our RX Music Studios, you know, we, we've had a lot of great interviews. We've had Maxi Priest in the house, we've had, we've had the Sheepdogs, we've had Vance Joy, uh, we've had, um, we just had uh, Justin Nazuka. Uh, we've done interviews with BB Rexa, um, a lot of interviews, and um, and it's really it's really exciting. It's a different energy because I'm working with a lot of great young millennials, and um, and these guys, I believe my work ethic is, is is different from from theirs, and and I and it's important for me to to really show them. Uh, um, my level of uh, you know what I came up with uh, came through in terms of you know the energy that you have to put in um, you know, to making something happen and uh, so it's so it's a great team and uh, we're really happy about it so the um, you can hit us up at um, at RX Music there you go nice yes in the past yeah in the past eighteen years you've not slowed down one bit you've been <laughs> always been on camera we certainly have not slowed down at all of course you mentioned your son Khalif you know I, I remember being in your driveway playing ball Khalif when he was what 14 15 already six foot two <laughs> already i couldn't handle him right. and now he's playing for providence power forward six foot nine 260 pounds and seeing him now in his 30 year providence what are your thoughts on like, what are your thoughts on the proud dad you mentioned him playing rep ball playing for ontario playing for canada what was it like seeing your son playing in march madness and being um, featured on fox and other and cbs like, what was it like watching play at a top uh, college basketball school in the states well it, it, it's, it's very surreal. It really is a surreal moment. Um, you know, it's like you, you know, like even back in the day, my wife loved college ball. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, she's, you know, she used to watch, she used to watch March Madness all the time. And, and I watched it when I was in college as well. Um, and, you know, and I got to gotta give him a shout out because, you know, he's been working very hard. So now he's about 245. <laughs> so he's leaning up. Um, they worked out this summer with uh, Canada Basketball. Um, you know, shout out to Michael Meeks and uh, and the whole uh, Canada Basketball team. Mm. Uh, but um, yeah, so he's he's um, you know it is a very surreal moment because you know when you have kids, you want your kids to achieve their dreams. Of course. And um, you know, and every year he 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 gleans and he grabs a, grabs another piece and uh, and a level of understanding in terms of what he has to do and something we can never teach him. Um, you know, we, so he knows going into his third year what his role is. He understands that he's, he's gonna, he has a pivotal role. Um, 
uh, especially in terms of guidance and support, because um, he's you know he's he's uh, he's uh, he's going to be a junior. So you know, with that said, you know it's, it's something where he has to understand. Yes, it's about basketball, but it's also what his knowledge and expertise uh, can bring. And that's one thing I'm really proud of him for because it is his level of uh, understanding surrounding mentorship. Um, he really can, you know, if you want to listen to him, you're going to learn something uh, because he, he's willing to give um, almost to the point of almost giving the ball away too much in the beginning because he, <laughs> he was just <laughs> wonderful Canadian kid that would probably just <laughs> pass the ball way too many times than you could have shot. But that's you know that's a you know that's a that's a daddy thing. But you know um but but, but now he's you know he's uh, you know he's he's going into his third year with a real strong and positive uh, um, frame of mind, and I'm, I'm real excited and happy for him. Of course, I mentioned you know you know mentorship and making sure you're well rounded. You know, some parents would be like you know okay, go into college, you know, play a year, go to the NBA. I mean, mm-hmm. you you and Paula made sure you know he goes in, he gets his education, mm-hmm. he's well rounded, and to make sure his game fully improves. Before he takes the next step, because his name has already been considered as a possible NBA draft pick in a couple of years, right. you want to make sure you know he's well rounded as a person and just as a basketball player before he takes the next step to possibly playing pro ball. Yeah, you know what? We're blessed. I mean, uh, my youngest son, Kyral mm-hmm. and Khalif, we're blessed that we have two beautiful kids. They're really, really. I believe they're really great, uh, uh, great, great human beings. And um, and yeah, I mean, you know, in his. Uh, in the sophomore year, you know, talking to Khalif, you know, we you know, have our phone conversations and he's, you know, and he was talking about his, you know, the, the business program, you know, the business management he's taking and, and just what surrounds that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he's one of these kids that, you know, when you're in college, people don't understand that, you know, you're still committed yeah. to, <laughs> to, to, you're on a scholarship. Yes, it might be a beautiful uh, experience and that you're getting, you know, the scholarship that's worth a whole, bu- a whole lot of money. Um, thank goodness uh, that the parents don't have to pay it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, it's like you're still, there's a level of expectation. So when you have an assignment and you've just been playing in New York and your assignment's due the next day, you got to complete that assignment. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, he's, you know, we've, we've heard and we've seen, you know, what, you know, what he goes through and, um, and that he's still, you know, actively going for it and, and understanding that yes this is uh, just like the music business um, there's a business surrounding uh, obviously sports and athletes I think it was a real eye-opener for him uh, coming home this uh, the summer is because you know, training with um, Canada basketball was because he was playing with uh, playing with the pros yeah. um, guys that are playing in the NBA uh, currently and guys that are playing in Europe and you know and it's like Cleef is he's like a sponge he's like that fly on the wall and he's gonna he's gonna Play hard, and he's he's not going to back down to anybody. So he realizes I'm playing against you know some of these guys that are pros, and, I, and I'm still in here. Yeah. But at the same time, he's also listening to the fact that there's guys that are playing in Europe, and they're waiting all summer to find out where their next place they're going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're playing in one of the guys who playing in Sweden, he's waiting you know to find out you know where he's you know his next his next team you know um, is going to be right. So. You know, so that is, you know, that's an education in itself. You can't teach that. Like, you know, even no. as a parent, you know, um, what, 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 what I've learned to do now is, is not be the parent in the car where me and Khalif, after a game, man, we would battle. He, we would, we'd, it would be a drawn-up battle. It would be like quiet. <laughs> like, if you had a bad game, it would be quiet. And I'd say, Khalif, uh, yeah, Dad, I know. And uh, we'd be back and forth, back and forth, and um, we, we we had some we had some we had some real good uh, good vibes. And he he, said he was so competitive around that age, fourteen, fifteen, 
And I was I was taller than him, and stronger, obviously. And I'm not a baller. I'm a as you know, I'm a soccer yes. player. <laughs> but just my physical height and presence against him was, you know, I take him on and and I beat him. One time he got so pissed he he took the ball and threw it at a, a, a side window and busted a window <laughs> <laughs> because because uh, he lost. He was that he was that competitive. Uh, but now what we have now, I, I believe we have a, a better understanding of. of of conversing and, and, and talking about things. And uh, and that's a level of uh, mm. maturation from him as well. Absolutely. You mentioned Trudy. I've watched him be interviewed by, you know, a local TV in Providence on a Providence website. And you wouldn't think, you know, you think that the answers he gives are of a guy who's been pro for five, six, seven years. Yeah. The answers are so mature for a guy who's in his early 20s. It's incredible yeah. how you guys have shaped him to a very sharp and bright young man. Yeah, he's, he really is a bright kid, you know. And it's like, um, you know, he... You know, he's a you know he's one of those kids that you know. He's a very he, he likes a subtle spotlight. You know he's you know he he's gonna be that guy that's uh, he's not gonna be afraid of uh, you know the spotlight. No. He's, he's gonna take it on. He he and he's very super competitive as I just said. Uh, but at the same time, he's he has that balance of knowing that um, there's a level of, there's people watching, mm-hmm. and I think that's the understanding he has. He has the understanding that you know I'm gonna present myself. Yes. Uh, this way, and um, th- this is who I am. I'm not putting it on, but this is, you know, I've been learned, I've, I've been raised to speak the English language, <laughs> you know, and, and no disrespect, he's not going to be, you know, he's going to be that guy that's going to, you know, show who he is, um, you know, what he walks real tall, and, um, and he shows exactly the person he is and the person he's becoming. And um, yeah, we, there's no choice about it. We're very proud of him on that. I think it should be an issue. A couple more things before you go, Tony. Yeah, no I'm ask you about the World Cup. I know, of course. People don't know, of course. You're an Englishman by birth. That's right. I was born in Leeds, England. <laughs> That's right. I'm uh, still, yes, yeah, still, still a, a, a UK lad. But, uh, but as a British kid, you know, you could be born in England, you know, but if you're a, uh, a young black kid, it was all about Brazil. It was all about Brazil. So <laughs> as much as... As much as uh, I followed England. It was always it was Brazil first, and then England. So uh, you know, right now England's all right, and Brazil just took a uh, took uh, their second. Well, they tied the first game and yes. just took their second game, and uh, so so we'll see what happens with Brazil. Because Brazil usually they just let me down, but uh, but I, but I, I think I think they're coming uh, they're coming strong this year. I mean, if, if Neymar can stay healthy somehow, because he was banged up in 2014, right. banged up now. I mean, if he can stay healthy, Brazil could have a deep run, hopefully, in this tournament. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he was out for three months. And, you know, and, and that display of him uh, breaking down, and, you know, and I looked, I was like, well, you know, why, why are you crying like that, guy? Get up. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, he, you know, he, he said, like, you know, no one, no one could understand, uh, you know, what he, you know, the things that he went through, you know, you know to get to that point. And, uh, and when you're off for three months, I'm sure that, you know, it goes through your, your head that, man, how am I going to play? Um, you know, can I play? And especially on a stage like the World Cup, like I mean, it's just you know, it's just such a huge, 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 and and no one, no one is is forgiving. You know, you literally, you know, oh yeah, I hurt my leg. Who cares? You know, like, get up there and, and, and go do it. This is for your country, and um, so yeah, I'm happy with Brazil's at right now. It's some great football right now. Absolutely, some no, really, really great football. And of course, I'm sure we mentioned off here about the World Cup coming to Canada in 2026. Most right. likely, the city will be. Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, and being someone who, you know, you're raised in Toronto, you've seen a lot of stuff in, in, in Toronto sports. What would it mean to be able to go to a World Cup game, a men's game in Toronto in 90s? What would that mean to you tonight? 
that would be it would be incredible. I mean, you know, you know, sometimes I think about it and I, I say to myself, this tournament is in Russia. Yes. But yet every country is represented with their, with their fans. Mm-hmm. How the heck are these fans getting to... Like, yeah, <laughs> That's a great question. If you're in Colombia, <laughs> like, these aren't all Russian fans, because no. they're not. These are Colombia, like, you know, I'm watching, uh, you know, I'm watching Korea and Mexico. Yeah. There's Koreans in Russia and there's Mexicans, Mexicans. in Russia. And, <laughs> These are real fans, legitimate fans. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, you know, I can't, you know, this is, that's the level of passion and dedication there is to the sport, that they're going to travel and support their country and support their team. And um, so, you know, to, to be in Toronto, you know, I got to, you know, first of all, I got to get a hookup for a game. There's no doing I know tickets are going to be coming at a premium. Of course. But I got I to be, I got to get some hookups in there, right? I'm going to start putting my hookups in there now. I'm going to start talking to city council. I'm going to talk to the mayor. <laughs> And start talking to the mayor right now and say, look, mayor, like, you know, you need, you need an ambassador like Master T just to be, like, I'll carry a flag. I'll carry. <laughs> Is Canada going to be in that one? Hopefully. I, come on. I, I think got it. I mean, automatic host, they deserve to be the automatic host in that because they're, they're discussing that. I mean, right. they should get the automatic bid as a host with right. Mexico and the U.S. So if they're there, I would love that. They need to get that automatic host. Well, you know, they're going to have to, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that would be amazing. It'd be, it would be good to see Canada. They have to Absolutely. And of course, last question. Going back to 90s and 90s music, of course, people know you best as the, the last man interviewed Tupac Shakur. And I know, like, what was that like for you? I know I've interviews on YouTube. It was in a movie. It was in Tupac's movie, the yeah. interview. And were you, were, did someone play you in that movie? And, or was it just the microphone? Well, yeah, they, they, they looked at they got someone, you know, they, um, minus the jewelry. Um, <laughs> but they, they got someone to hold the, the Much Music microphone. They obviously reached out to Much Music and said, hey, can we use one of your uh, mic flashes? Um, but, uh, you know, that that was one of the, like, somebody just asked me this the other day, and, you know, people still, you know, hit me up, and, um, and you know, and it was a very, very surreal mo- surreal moment to this day, um, because, it's funny, because um, I was at, uh, years prior, I was at the, um, uh, the Soul Train mu- uh, music uh, concert mm-hmm. uh, at the House of Blues, and that was the very first time I saw Tupac. And Tupac was there, and he was standing there, and he had on this kind of like a Gatsby, Gatsby kind of suit, yeah. and looked clean. And, <laughs> and he wasn't a very tall guy. He wasn't tall at all. And he's standing there, and he had two models on, 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 on either side of his arm. And uh, Suge Knight was walking out of this club, uh, doing this club, and Method Man is, is just wasted. He's just drunk. And, and Suge, Suge Knight's carrying him out. And I'm just standing like a, standing like a fly on the wall, and you know, and they're carrying Method Man out, and and I'm just looking at Tupac, and I'm just looking at his presence, like he's almost like you know disappointed, like Method Man, come on, man, you got to keep your stuff together, you know, and like I can just see the, the way he looked, but he just had this power, yeah. like you just looked at this guy, and he just he just had this charisma, and um, and strength, and um, you know, you, you you just felt it, you automatically felt it, and so when we were there for the after party in New York. Um, and uh, you know we're, we're standing in this park, and we saw Tupac and we saw Suge, and there's all these people carrying, um, you know, down with the east, carrying all these these signs because uh, death row. Death row east was gonna get off. Yeah, yeah they, they were trying to bring it, to, um, you know, to, to the east coast, and so you know we're, we're watching this, and it was a camera cameraman, myself, and uh, and our producer, producer um, uh, Natasha, um, and. <laughs> So we're standing there, um, and we're standing there, and we're looking at him, and we're going, 
okay, we want to get an interview with Tupac. And we go, that's Tupac. And we go, yeah, we know it's Tupac. And then it was literally between the three of us, I'm not going up to go talk to Tupac. I'm not going up to go <laughs> to talk to Suge Knight. I'm not going up there to go talk to him. So we ended up pushing, we ended up pushing her out there. She goes, hey there, uh, Suge, can we get an interview with Tupac? And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. And we're like, okay. So then like, now I, I, like I'm standing there and I'm going like, um, hey, uh, you know, Tupac, you know, like, you know, um, and first, of for, uh, first and foremost, you know, like, like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you know, when I look back at the tape and I sit there and I say to myself, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, so introduce yourself. And he literally like, you know, kind of sculpted, kind of turned his head and almost like, why are you asking Tupac who he is? <laughs> and in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, and that's, that was usually like a leading question just in case someone didn't know. But in Tupac, in Tupac's mind is like, the F you, you got to know who I am. So that look off the, the first and then I, right, right then and there, I, like you could tell he was like turned his head. He kind of grabbed his chin, almost like I'm ready to walk on this guy. And then I said, you know, so what's all this thing about the, uh, you know, death or east? Do you believe in God? And from there, I just held a microphone in front of him and he just went off. He just went into this diatribe and, uh, and I just stood, stood there and I gave him like, you know, the tap at the end of it. But, uh, you know, and then you know, the most surreal moment was just knowing days later, you mm -hmm. know, he was executed. It's still, you know, uh, it was, yeah, very surreal moment. It's just like, like what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, and, um, but yeah, yeah, it's a very, uh, very, very, very sad. Yeah, it was. I'm Tony William. Talking to you again here in the hotel. It's been a blast, man. Like, before I go, I know you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. Where do people follow you on, on your social media platforms? Uh, on uh, Twitter and um, uh, Instagram, you can hit me up and at Master T underscore official, and you can also hit me up at uh, at RX Music. Awesome, took me a blast talking to you, man. Thank you so much for doing this on the podcast. Tony. Hey, a blast uh, chatting with you. And you know, one thing I gotta give you credit for is is your level of perseverance. I've known you since you were a kid. <laughs> you have never stopped uh, pursuing your dreams and creating and being creative and going after what you want. And you're a shining example for a lot of young kids out there. You've never, ever, ever, ever given up on your dreams. And I'm, I'm so proud of you for that. Thank you, Tony.